0: In this third segment, Bobby and Renee dive deeper into biblical headship and into servant leadership in the home. How are men supposed to lead their families as God intended? Bobby talks about the shift in culture toward an egalitarian approach in American Christianity. They both teach on what it looks like for men to lead like Jesus in the home, and they discuss the nuanced idea of mutual submission and how this concept is interpreted, oftentimes in an egalitarian viewpoint. The next one we want to look at, having started with what the uh, Scripture says is the foundation, we want to move to the home, because what the Bible teaches about the home will ultimately uh, impact all of us first. So, let's uh, start with the concept of headship. Renee, do you want to go ahead and tackle this?
1: sure yeah so headship just to read you a little bit off the slide here is a unique god-created authority and responsibility to mimic jesus to lead and be a head like jesus headship is how men take responsibility to live out their created fabric in a jesus-like way that seeks the benefit of families and the local church and seeks to honor god again i don't see in scripture where men are called the leader of women they're called the head. So we, we see in 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul says, when he's talking about head coverings and all that, which I'm like, Bobby, you do that part later. I don't want to talk about that. But when he's talking about all that, his reasoning is because God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of man, and man is the head of woman. And he doesn't say um, God could be the head of Christ or it'd be a good idea if you lived like man's the head of woman. He's describing reality. He's saying, this is the way the world works. God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of woman. And what does that look like? It looks like what I mentioned earlier. It looks like boundary making. It looks like space making, (laughs) where it's like, you don't go you don't go beyond the boundaries of this. But as far as living out your gifting, you can, you can go for it within the bounds of, of these truths. Of these, these are, this is the way we're going to live our lives. So as a, as a husband, um, that means that you are taking responsibility for your family's spiritual development. You're taking responsibility to initiate prayer with your wife. You're taking responsibility to be in the Word and asking God to reveal to you your own sin. You're taking the hits for your family. Adam was formed outside the garden and brought in. Man's sexuality is realized outside of his body. That gives us a lot of information about how outward-facing men are, about how um, they are more aggressive and more interested in things than relationships. Um, God is causing you to press into areas of your weaknesses, perhaps. Um, Some men are better at this than others, but you have a strong help if you are married to come alongside you and help you in that endeavor. But you take the hits. I mean, God said um, when Adam and Eve sinned, you know, Eve was deceived. He said Adam wasn't deceived. Eve was deceived. I think that means that Adam was actually just a rebel. He knew good and well what he was doing, but Eve was deceived, and when Paul is describing that situation, he's like, because of Adam, everyone dies. That points to headship. That points to primogeniture. Eve sinned first. Why didn't he say because of Eve, um, everyone dies? Because Adam is the representative head of humanity, and Christ is the firstborn over all creation. There are heads.
0: Yeah, that's good. So we want to look at this whole concept of head, and uh, I want to take a few minutes to do something that I mentioned this morning. If you watched, if you're watching this, you'll see that there was a, a recording on what is a man, uh, and we talked about how uh, the Christ-like man is a real man. He rejects passivity, uh, he embraces service, he accepts responsibility and leads courageously. I mentioned there what I want to dive into with Renee now, and that is what is a head? So it's the Greek word kephale, and it literally means head. And historically, for 2000 years, everybody reading the text understood that uh, head had this sense of authority. So when it says that Christ is the head of the church, people understood, well, that means he is the authority of the church. Well, to get around these passages, starting about 40 years ago, there were New Testament scholars uh, who were egalitarians or mutualists, and they tried to find ways to explain around this word head. So to become an egalitarian today, and egalitarian is becoming the dominant viewpoint in the evangelical church. In the last 15 years, there's been a huge switch uh, so that uh, it used to be the majority of evangelical churches would be complementarian churches. that has now uh, in the process of switching, and the majority are becoming egalitarian churches. And to do that, you have to explain away about 120 verses, and you have to redefine about four different words, which we point that out in here. One of the words you have to redefine is the word head. Now, in the ancient literature, sometimes the word head, kephale, meant source, like the head of a river, the, the, the source. What's the source of the river? And so people would try to find some examples. Now, objectively, they had a hard time finding it in the first century. There's a New Testament scholar named Wayne Grudem who tracked down every reference in Greek literature and just showed that you can't do what they're doing, but people keep trying to do it, There's a lady named Cynthia Westfall, for example, who's one of the recent people saying uh, that she's got argument that head means source and not authority. There's a couple of difficulties with it. And we're going to point out for the average everyday person, you can know it means authority just by reading your Bible. And here's one of the ways you can do that is Ephesians chapter one. Notice what it says about Christ. It says, Uh, God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So that kind of sounds like Jesus is up there in terms of authority. Would you agree with that? And he says, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head. Notice that word there, the head. The head. The head over everything for the church. Notice how the word "kephale," which is head, is used here. It's the, Jesus is the authority. Head means authority. He's the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The second way that we can know what it means is just simply reading Ephesians chapter five and seeing what it says when Christ is called the head. So let me read it, and then Renee's gonna talk a little bit about this. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse 21. So there's a submissive attitude in each of our roles as men and women. Uh, can, I, can I just say this? I, I wanna say this for every man who's here. The only way to really love your wife the way Jesus loved the church, is you have to submit to God and your wife's best interests. It's not just the woman who's submitting. You have to submit to God and your wife's best interests. And the normal thing, other than it being something that God calls us to do, or for a matter of morality or something like that, is the default position is almost to put your wife's daily requests and needs ahead of your own. So it involves a submission uh, on the part of, of of the man. Then he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Then he says this, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So you see the word head here connotates authority. And that in my home, for example, I'm called by God to lead. And, and that means there are times where I've got to tell Cindy, uh, honey, I've listened to your opinion. We've talked it through. I believe God wants us to do it this way. And the buck stops with me, and that's where we'll go because God's appointed me as the head in that relationship. But it only comes after a lot of prayer and a lot of forethought on my part. Um, so uh, it comes out of husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. We talked about this this morning. So I'm just going to um, go ahead and let Renee take it here with a quote from Rebecca McLaughlin. Yeah,
1: yeah I love that, um, that Ephesians 5 passage. My dad and I were talking about it um, recently. And he was like, in a nutshell, what it means for a husband to be the head of a wife is that he dies for her every day. He's dead. And I was like, that's so beautiful because it's Christ laying down his life for the church. So you can see why it was great to be a daughter in his house with a man who thought like that. So um, what we're not saying is that we are advocating for really strict gender roles. If you hear us saying that, you're not listening closely because I'm going to say it again and again. We're not saying that all women look this way and all men look this way. The, the Bible is filled with examples of men and women um, who have tons of different giftings and personalities, men who are poets and musicians and cooks and shepherds, and women who drive stakes through people's heads and judge. We have all kinds of men and women in Scripture, but we bring our sexuality to the, to the roles that God has given us. So I love Rebecca McLaughlin's way with words. And she just says, Ephesians 5 sticks like a burr in our Western ears. But it does not justify traditional gender roles. The text doesn't say that the husband's needs are the ones who come first. In fact, it's a withering critique of traditional gender roles in our context today. In the drama of marriage, as Bobby said, the wife's needs come first and the husband's drive to prioritize himself is cut down with the acts of the gospel. So we, we submit to one another, and I, I really want to just kind of camp on that. Submission is, is established by God to accomplish something. Submission is... is Created by God to accomplish something. Christ submitted to God's plan of redemption to come and save us. The church then in return in gratitude submits to Christ as our Lord and our King. Wives submit to their husbands and respect them. Husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. Children submit to parents. Slaves submit to masters. You know this is not mutual submission right? Like, you know, this is not interchangeable, egalitarian kind of submission. Do your children submit to you the way that you submit to them? If you call your child, you expect them to come to you. If your child calls you, you choose to come to them. There's a there's a, a, a subtle difference here in the in the dynamic, so submission to one another out of reverence for Christ is gendered submission. It's not interchangeable. You know, we don't submit to Christ the way that He submitted to us to save us. That's insane. That's heresy.
0: Yeah, we we uh, you and I have talked about this a lot, uh, just in terms of the the interchangeability there.
1: Mutual submission you hear it all the time. Mutual submission. Mutual submission. It's a bad shorthand because it makes you think that we all just kind of act the same way and we all kind of do the same thing. And it's not true. Um, God calls us, I believe, in our areas of weakness. Um, I don't know about y'all, but does any woman in here um, have like a running commentary about her husband in her head? Yeah, like I don't either, no. So, you know, to respect your husband, you know, God's like, you take every thought captive in obedience to Christ and turn off that commentary in your head that's disrespecting your husband. And and hu- I could go on for husbands as well, but these are not I think, interchangeable. I think we
0: might like that. You can go on for a
1: while longer. <laughs> but these are not interchangeable. The way that my husband submits to me is not the way I submit to him. But but when we are both submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, it's a safe place to submit. Yeah. And it doesn't really feel gross and yucky. And um, as Michelle was saying earlier, the young woman who didn't like the power dynamic that she was perceiving it's not really there. Yeah, Christ is a safe person to submit to, and husbands are supposed to be modeling themselves.
0: You know, and, and really a lot of this, uh, as we're talking about what God wants for, for our families, I'm thinking of all the young boys and all the young daughters growing up in homes today, and how important it is that they see that their fathers, their grandfathers, mm-hmm. and the other men around them live this out. Because it's so much easier for for a woman to do what you've done with the husband that you've had and the father that you've had. So I just I just want to say that. And then when it's not easy, we're going to talk just a little bit about this. A woman should never follow her husband into sin. I I literally wanted to yell at Amazon.com last night when I was watching that shiny, happy people thing. And it's like, no, you don't ever follow your husband into sin. Uh, that's not what God would want and so there's this real healthy uh, mindset that you need to have about it and you really need both men need older men to disciple them into how to love their wives and wives in fact scripture is explicit about this they script uh, younger women need older women to disciple them into how to properly love their husbands well uh, and so often we get into trouble when we're actually trying to live our lives as isolated individuals, rather than in a community where we're all being discipled, we're all disciples and helping disciple each other.
1: We hope you're enjoying this six-part series on male and female, taking a closer look on what the Bible says about gender roles in the home and in the church. If you're interested in learning more about this content, and about this subject, I would highly encourage you to go on Amazon in the link below in the description, check out Male and Female, Renee Sproul's new book that dives into all these things that you're hearing about in more detail. You can also purchase Five Conversations on Men and Women for Church Leaders And this is a great companion book to male and female. You can work through with your church, with your elders,
0: with your staff, a really good hands-on tool. So we just encourage you, click the link in the description below, check out both books and grab your copies today. So I want to add just a few more comments and then Renee, I'm going to let you jump in uh, to finish up and we're we're open for some more questions. But I wanted you to know uh, why this is such an important discussion in the home about the meaning of head. And uh, I've given you two reasons why you don't have to know Greek to know that head includes authority. The first is we saw in Ephesians chapter 1 that Christ is described as the head of the church in the same book as Ephesians chapter 5, and head in chapter 1 clearly means authority. The second thing is that if you will just stop and think about it, these uh, people who are egalitarians and mutualists... Say that husbands and wives equally submit to each other it 's just not true jesus the church doesn 't say to Jesus now Jesus, do it my way. this is an area where i'm i 'm more knowledgeable. Jesus do it my way it just it doesn 't work that way the The role's there uh, in terms of Christ uh, representing the husband and the wife representing the church it doesn 't work but there 's a third area where the average person who doesn't know Greek can just know it's true. When you look at the other places in the New Testament, there is no ambiguity. And there's two passages in particular that just back up what we're saying. Uh, The first is Colossians chapter 3, and then the second one is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 5. There's just no ambiguity there. In fact, Renee, you were talking to me about Colossians Chapter 3 some time ago. Did you want to say anything about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's really clear, isn't it? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, and husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Again, it's, the Bible's so practical. God is so good to be practical with us, because to me, it seems like the thing it's hard for each of us to do. You know, it's hard for um, a woman to submit to her husband and it's hard for a husband not to be harsh. You see that again and again where in Ephesians 5 where it says fathers don't exasperate your children. Because, why would he say that? Because you exasperate your children. Because you're harsh with them. Why do your wives not want to respect you and submit to you? Because you're harsh with them. And you don't love them as Christ loved the church. And so, again, it's just the Bible is so eminently practical. God knows us. He made us. And he knows that we we are flesh and he knows that we are in desperate need of salvation and his Holy Spirit to help sanctify us and help us walk in step with the truth that he reveals to us. And he equips us to do that. In 1 Peter 3, I love that passage where, he's, where he says, um, Hus- husbands, deal with your wives in an understanding way. It's like, know your wife. Know your wife and don't be harsh with her. Uh, lest your prayers be hindered, and most men I know who kind of blow that verse off probably aren't praying all that much anyway. So why why would that be a bad consequence? <laughs> but if you pray, then you would take heed to not have your prayers hindered. Yeah, God says I won't hear <clears throat> you if you're harsh with her, and that's a great comfort.
0: Yeah. All right, we are going to, the next section is going to be on the unique roles in the local church. But before we get to that, we've got about 10 minutes here. Uh, Again, if you need to take a break, you can do it now. Also, we're just going to entertain questions. So, JP, I think you've already got one. It looks like in your hand, but uh, if you can go ahead and Michelle.
1: So, one of the first things that came up was um, the non-believing husband. How does that work in a practical way? Well, you submit to him, except you would not follow him into sin. Yeah. And um, this was a real issue. You know, when the gospel was coming on the scene in the early Stars church, the the this services. happened a lot, right? People were married. They were practicing their pagan religion, or maybe they were Jewish, and then one um, spouse becomes a Christ follower and the other one doesn't. And Paul says, you stay married. Who, who knows that you might Sanctify your spouse by staying with them. So I would say, you submit out of reverence for Christ. You you've made a covenant. You got to do it. Yeah.
0: You know uh, another passage which we didn't look at, but we just talked about, is in First Peter chapter three. Uh, Peter tells wives, he says, uh, if you're married to a non-believing husband, uh, be careful how you act, so that you would win him mm-hmm. over by your behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's the passage where it talks about you don't don't give way to fear, and you don't want to follow your non-believing husband into sin. Uh, submission is ultimately always submission first to God.
1: Yeah, that passage where he brings up um, Sarah and Abraham. Abraham was pretty terrible husband um, at t- at certain points where he was like, "Hey, pretend you're my sister," and then she gets taken into like Pharaoh's harem, and. Not once, but twice. He did it twice. And Peter said, you know what? She entrusted herself to God who judges justly. And she obeyed him. She listened to him, called him Lord.
0: JP. So this is, uh, I think this is complicated because it says, what if a husband is laying his life down for his wife or the wife is submitting to her husband, but there's manipulation taking place? Yeah. You know, we're, we're all uh, people who struggle with sin. We struggle with our own motives and even just having pure hearts, men and women both. And uh, I, I think, you know, uh, again, I want you to jump in, Renee, but for me, if I feel like I'm being manipulated, uh, I'll try to talk about it. Uh, I, I want to be the kind of person as well that, if my motives aren't right, that, uh, that I'll admit that. Uh, but I think that I have to work at it and because I think that's part of being a human being is that we all struggle with our own motives.
1: Yeah, motives are super important. So Scripture tells us anything that does not come from faith is sin. So that tells me that I can actually be doing right things.
0: For the wrong reasons. For the very
1: wrong reasons, and God's looking at my heart. You know, King David is a really interesting example of this because as I read through his life, he was a pretty crummy father. Uh, He wasn't a really great husband at times. He committed adultery, committed murder. He got his own son killed by estranging him from himself, and yet God said he's a man after my own heart. He had a heart that was open to correction from God and open to repentance. Um, and so for sure, for sure, you'd want to talk it out. Um, please, please ask God to show you your heart yeah. and show you your motives. My experience is that he doesn't rip it open and show me my deepest, darkest, awfulest parts. <laughs> First, he's gentle. It's like an onion. He'll peel back your layers and he'll reveal your motives to you. Um, but but yeah, anything that doesn't come from faith is sin. It's sinful. To live that way. Michelle? Uh, what resources would you recommend to break authoritarianism if you learned it at a very young age, if that's all you knew?
0: Our books. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I mean, that's a good start. Yeah.
0: I would meet with some uh, mature Christians, maybe in your home group or your, uh, we call them T groups, transformation yeah. groups, uh, and, and kind of walk through this in a discipling relationship with somebody. But we did work hard on the book, and Renee's not wrong to the, book, is, the book.
1: Listen, y'all, the book is kind of big, but the chapters stand alone. It's meant you can read it. We've made it coherent front to back, so you can read it straight through, and d- the chapters build. But you can just go pick, and so there are several um, resources in here for marriages where you can just go read the chapter on marriage and go get those nuggets of wisdom. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, I for sure know a lot of people who are leaving um, authoritarian environments. There's a lot of hurt. Um, there's a lot of fear of authority because it's been misused. And um, it's just a relearning. It's a relearning um, what God's authority is. And again, it, God's not just after our heads. So we do need right information, but he's after our hearts. And so surrounding yourself with people who can mentor you would be important.
0: You know, um, so often when we're hurt in life, the thing that hurt us is a thing that we want to rebel against, and it's going to be bad. So take, for example, if I was wounded by authority, I can really have an attitude that authority is bad. But that's actually, it was a bad person using authority the wrong way. And authority in and of itself is a good thing. It's a God-honoring thing. And sometimes we have to relearn healthy uh, use of authority, healthy respect of authority. Uh, For example, a woman who's been really mistreated uh, may have a hard time trusting men. She may have a hard time trusting her husband, but God calls her to, to trust God, and then by trusting God, do right by the authority of your husband. Mm -hmm. And we need to be discipled into that oftentimes. Um, We've got time for one or two more, Michelle or JP. I'll go. Uh, Our culture equates headship with power and prestige, while Scripture equates headship with servanthood. Could you comment further on headship as reflected in the Trinity uh, and the composition of the body per 1 Corinthians 12? Um. I'm going to come to that in just a few minutes, because we're going to talk about uh, God being the head of Christ, and Christ being the head of man, and man the head of woman, Mm -hmm. unless you want to add something before we get there. Goodness,
1: no. That's a hard question. (laughs) Yeah. okay. (laughs) I
0: I don't know if somebody's asking. There's a debate in the early church about submission within the Godhead. Uh, If somebody's asking that, we can... I'll hang around for a few minutes afterwards yeah. and we can talk about it because it's a more complicated uh, thing. But Oops. in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it does teach that Christ would be eternally submissive to the Father. So i um, just leave it at that. Yeah. Michelle?
1: Yeah, can you elaborate on the concept of gender submission and how it differs from mutual submission? Renee? Yeah, so the way I submit to my husband David is not the same way he submits to me. So... Um, David does not owe me respect, although it comes naturally when he loves me. Um, so what does it look like to submit to my husband? It looks like me um, being sure that our home is a place where um, he can—he knows that we are all for him, that when he goes out into the world, when he comes home, um, we're his team. We're for him. And, uh, for me, David's, uh, submitting to me, it looks like, I know he's got my back. I know uh, he, he doesn't just step in and go, let me do everything. Let me do everything for you. But when I feel like, Ooh, I need reinforcements. I know immediately he's right there. He's actually already thinking of it. You okay? You need, do you need anything from me? I've got your back. Um, Again, I mean, this is true whether you're both working outside the home or um, or not. First um, Timothy five says that women are the head of the home, the masters of the home, the Lord of the home. the The word despot is embedded in that word in First Timothy, and so the older women are supposed to teach the younger women to be the lords of their homes. The, one of the ways I submit to to my husband and to my children is by owning that. I own the tone of the home. I own it. Now, I can delegate and and whatnot, but then David owns the spiritual tone of the home. Does that make sense? So, we might execute the play together, but he owns that, and we'll collaborate and whatnot. So, it's it's a gendered submission, but it also, it's kind of hard to describe because you also just bring your personalities into it. You know, we're, we're all so unique and different, and you bring your own personality into um, the way you respect your husband and the way a husband loves a wife, and you're going to be really good at some things and not so good at others. Do you have an example with you? And
0: Yeah, I'll just <clears throat> I used the ending. example this morning that um, my son-in-law, I think he's really great, head of his home. Uh, he does things uh, for my daughter uh, that I, I'm not as good at, like he cooks and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he's still the head of his home and the leader in the relationship. Um, so there is some variability in terms of with our personalities and giftings and backgrounds. We'll work this out differently. But here are the key elements. The key elements is that the the husband says the buck stops with me for the well being of my wife and my children. I will not be passive. I will accept responsibility. I will serve. And when there's problems, I will lead. I will jump in. I will, I, I will initiate. I will be the guy who who does who, who does <laughs> uh, who does what needs to be done. I'll try to be the same way with the church. It's like when there's a problem, if you're if you're in a headship role, if there's a problem and it's not being solved, it's my job. I'm gonna jump in and do it. So if there's problems, for example, uh, in your marriage, it is the husband's responsibility to say to his wife, honey, we can't resolve this. We've got to get help. I'm going to lead the way. I'm going to set up counseling. I'm going to call the elders of the church. I'm going to get us help. The husband is not passive. Passive is the opposite of what Jesus was. Just think about this. When we were lost as human beings, headed for hell, who initiated and came to rescue us? It was our head, Jesus Christ.